0: The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. We've been now four weeks in the prophet's writing, Amos. This shepherd prophet Amos from Judah, from Tekoa, Judah being Israel's rebellious younger brother, Amos has come and spoken to the leaders of Israel. His big brother. To bring God's lion's roar of judgment from the Lord. And he's declared as we work through the past several, week, for several weeks. Seven judgments. Seven judgments. That's a number of completion found in scripture. Against seven of Israel's worst enemies. Number one. Damascus, judged for harsh, abusive, cruelty against Israel. Number two, Gaza, for turning Israel into slaves. Number three, Tyre, for profiting off of Israel. Number four, Edom, for betraying their brother Israel. Number five, the Ammonites, for cutting open pregnant women to prevent Israel from multiplying. Number six, Moab for using Israel's family bones to paint their town as a mark of victory. And number seven, last week we talked about the other side of the tracks, Judah, rejecting God's law and going after other gods. Seven judgments given from the Lord of fire and destruction. And the leaders of Israel are hearing Amos' words, these seven roars that came from the prophet, and they are shouting an amen, a hearty amen. God's judgment has been declared complete. Seven judgments complete. I wonder how long Amos paused for dramatic effect. Letting Israel soak it in to believe that's the end of the sermon. God is finished speaking and they're standing thinking, let them have it. They didn't think about a number eight They didn't think a number eight judgment was possible. That would be over the top for the Lord. Eight would be a mark above and beyond bad. Because it would mean everything Amos said in the first seven was a warm-up to what's coming now. And then he spoke. A reading from the prophet Amos. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and they sell the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go in to the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar, on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them whose height was like the height of the cedars and who was as strong as the oaks. It was I who destroyed his fruit above and his roots below. And it was also I who brought you out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And it was I who raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine, and you commanded the prophet, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, it is I who will press you down in your place, as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift. The strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand. And he who is swift of foot shall not save himself. Nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. God, we thank you for your word. The story of your grace. I want you to think on this phrase for a moment with me. Freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. Say that again. Freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. Each of us have the freedom of will to choose how to respond to what comes at us. My kids will come up to me and be like, My brother makes me so mad! And it drives my kids crazy when their former counselor, a dad, applies this concept to my sons. Your brothers can't make you angry, son. They can't make you angry. You are choosing to be angry. Freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. This definition allows a slave to still have freedom to forgive their master. This phrase allows an abused person to still have a choice to turn the other cheek. It allows a victim of a hate crime to respond with love. Freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. We've covered these seven judgments in the past week. Seven vivid accounts of what's been done to Israel. Awful things, abusive things, hateful things. They've been oppressed by tyrant kings and armies. They've been used as weapons of war or used as slaves for profit. They have been abused as trophies of power and sick pleasure. They've been misused to paint a city with their bones. Freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. What do you do if that's what's been done to you? get bitter, get angry, get even. But this quote, freedom is what you do with what's been done to you, is not the fullest definition of freedom for us, church. If the Lord God is the beginning of all things, then freedom is from Him. Freedom is not only what you do with what's been done to you, people, and by people. Freedom is what you do with what's been done for you, people. What's been done for you, Israel? What's been done for you, church? Freedom is what we do with what's been done for us. Do we do what God has done for us? Do we defend the weak? Or do we do what's been done to us? Offend the defender of the weak. Three questions I want us answering this morning. First, what has the Lord done for you, church? Second, what is the most offensive response to what the Lord has done for us? And finally, how does God respond to to being offended. God's judgment is seen in this passage in Amos, in his holy response to sinners who don't do what's been done for them. We'll actually begin today in the middle of the passage, in verses 9 to 11, to answer our first question What has the Lord done for us, for the church, for Israel? He defends the weak. With his power. The Lord defends the weak with his power. How does he do that? With protection? Look at verse 9. What do you see there? You see the Lord destroying strong enemies for Israel. When Israel came upon the land that was promised to them, they, sp- they sent out spies to check out that land of where they were promised. And they saw these intimidating Amorites, the big and tall. They had their own store for them. The Amorite, big and tall. So big and tall that the spies coming back to Israel who have spied out the land reported, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers compared to them. Squashable in comparison. Weak in contrast. But what does the Lord say to the grasshoppers in verse 9? I was stronger, weak ones. I destroyed them from head, the fruit in verse 9, to toe, the roots in the same verse. I was stronger, the Lord says, for you, weak ones. Think about it. Like, if we are grasshoppers out here this morning... Let's pretend there's a grasshopper right here. And I am the Amorite. I am a person's foot ready to squash it. The Lord is a tornado behind that person. That's what he's saying. That's what I brought you, grasshopper. A tornado. I protected you. And then in verse 10, what do we see him doing? We see him bringing salvation to the slave. We see the Lord calling out not only his victory over these big guys... He has Israel look back on where they came from. They came from Egypt, enslaved in Egypt. You were in such a sorry state under the rule of a terrible boss named Pharaoh. He was enjoying a lush life on the back of you, Israel. He demanded you work for nothing so he could take everything from you. And the Lord reminds Israel, what did I do saved you from that. Enslaved ones, I took you out of slave labor, forced labor, and I fed you through the wilderness as you made your way to this promised home. We don't understand slavery. We don't understand the psychology of slavery. But rescue and being redeemed out of slavery is usually not even on a slave's radar. We support International Justice Mission as a church, and their mission is to go after slave laborers, to rescue them and pull them, trafficked people out of their torment, out of their slavery. And countless stories IJM tells about the bewilderment that comes from being rescued. After years of slaves being told, You are nothing, comes the police. And comes this team of rescuers saying, no, you're valuable and you are worth getting out of here. You are worth rescuing. And the people go, I don't know how that is even possible. That was Israel. And that was the Lord bringing rescue. He saves the slave. And then in verse 11, he provides leadership for the sheep. We see the Lord giving the people prophets, beginning with Moses, God's mouthpieces, who help lead these wandering sheeps who can their way away from God. The prophets speak and bring them back. And he gives them Nazarites who are Nazarites. These are prayer warriors. These are people who made vows to the Lord by refusing to drink wine for a time. They refused to cut their hair. They refused to touch anything dead to set themselves apart in prayer, asking the Lord to help the people. That's what Nazarites did. And when he did answer the prayer, the Nazarites would cut their hair off and throw it into the fire of the altar to say, Thank you, Lord, for acting on our behalf. Thank you for answering prayer. The Lord is saying, wandering sheep, I gave you guides to keep you on the right path with these prayer warriors and with these prophets. Three ways the Lord loves his little grasshopper people. Not because they were lovely or large, but because they were his and they were loved. The language of the passage emphasizes the Lord speaking it. I destroyed enemies. I brought you up. I raised you up. I want to ask you, if you feel like you are one of those little ones, where are you experiencing your weakness? The Lord is bigger than your worst, largest fear. He wants to defend you, fearful one. Where are you enslaved to some sin or something in your life? The Lord offers a rescue out of your trap. He wants to free you, valued one. Where are you wandering out of step with God and his word? The Lord has given you people to guide you off of the ledge. He wants to lead you, little lamb. Why does the Lord bring up all of these things That he's done to free Israel in these verses 9 to 11. Why? Because they've become like their enemies. Not like their God. How? This is the second question. What is the most offensive response to what the Lord has done for us? It's this. It's to use the weak as props for power. The most offensive thing to the Lord is when you will use a weak person as a prop for your own power. Props that they used for profit. Props that they used for pleasure. Props that they used indeed for power. And Israel's list of crimes in verses 6 to 8 is a litany of examples of using the weak as props for power. The oppressed has become the oppressor. The grasshopper has become the The foot to squash it. The slaves have become the hateful masters. The sheep have become the wolves. Look at this description found in verses 6 to 8. Verse 6. See the attack on the weak by making a buck off the righteous. That word can be translated righteous as innocent. They are taking innocent people And making money off of them. Pennies off the dollar. Because you see that sandal image? That's just a cheap transaction. A human being is being traded for a piece of shoe. They're selling their own family off. And then in verse 7. They're going after the poor. Who made less than minimum wage. To pay up for what they're not able to pay. They are abusing Already indebted people by trampling the head of the poor. By turning them into slaves who can't ever pay back their debt. And they're looking away when they hear someone cry out for help. Could you help me? Could you help me? Nope, I'm not even paying attention. I'm turning aside. I'm turning away. I'm not listening to your need for help. And then in verse 8, they're slaughtering the sheep. By prostituting and abusing the help who are helpless. That girl is probably a slave laborer who has no other recourse than to have the master of the house and his son have their way with her. And worse yet, they're doing these acts on garments that were pulled from the poor as collateral. Garments for pledge, stolen from poor people, and worse off, worst of all, they're doing it next to the altar of sacrifice, in a place of worship. They're drinking wine purchased through interest collected from loan penalties. Who in the world are you, Israel? God is asking. What has become of you? I have conquered your enemies. I have paid your slave debts. I have given you a land flowing with milk and honey. I've defended you weak, helpless little grasshopper. And what have you become? Power-hungry, prideful pigs. Friends, we need to pay very close attention to these verses because we may, like Israel, believe that the crimes God is naming are crimes for someone else to hear. So I want to ask us some important questions this morning. How are you using people as your props to power? How do you size up people who are weaker than you? I want to give you a list of people who might be your props. A list of people with possibly your self-righteous response or your oppressor response. And I want God to search your hearts and see, is there someone in that list that I can see that I do use to prop my own power? Maybe it's the uneducated. And you say, I'm smarter. Maybe it's the theologically untrained. And you say, I'm wiser. Maybe it's the weaker vessel woman. And you say, I am the leader of this household. Maybe it's the trophy child. Who you say, I'm something because they did well at football. Maybe it's the lazy millennial, and you say, I work harder. Maybe it's the desperate and the poor, and you say, I'm self made. Maybe it's the bed bugged, and you say, I'm cleaner. Maybe it's the one who owes you, and you say, I am debt collector. Maybe it's the one who hurt you, and you say, I am avenger. Maybe it's someone who's laying injured, and you say, Oh, I'm healthy. Maybe it's the elderly who lay lonely, and you say, I'm busy. Maybe it's the struggling, and you say, I'm put together. Maybe it's the stranger, and you say, I've got a family. Maybe it's the refugee, and you say, I'm a citizen. Maybe it's the loser, and you say, I've won more. Maybe it's the lost, and you say, but I'm found. Maybe it's the addicted, and you say, I'm stronger. Maybe it's the one who couldn't help you, And you say, I'll find someone who can. Maybe it's someone who reflects poorly on you. And you say, I'm embarrassed. I don't want to be around you. Maybe it's the one who can make you look good. I'll use them to look even better. Maybe it's the one who can't make the shot on the court. I'll mock you. Maybe it's the one who can't make the grade. I'm the valedictorian. Maybe it's the one who does everything wrong. I'm righteous. Maybe it's the sports illustrated model. I'll have my way with you. Maybe it's the trafficked child. I'll ignore you. Maybe it's the parentless foster child. I'll, I'll just pay for you. Maybe it's the tragic story. And we say, I'll pray for you. Or maybe it's the weakest weakling. And we say, I'll pity you. Sinners, in light of God's strength, power, holiness, and might. This list of weak ones. They're us. We're desperate like this list. And how did God treat us? With miles and miles of mercy. With grace upon grace upon grace. With Christ given to be the weak one's strength. With Christ given to pay your unpayable debt. With Christ given as your perfect sacrifice for sin. With Christ ruling as your shepherd king. He gave you more than minimum wage. He gave you more than a handout. He gave you the maximum inheritance anyone could imagine. Life eternal with him. The Lord didn't use you as a prop to make himself powerful. He made himself nothing in order to prop you up. So how dare you treat any image-bearing human being any less than how God treated you, weak one, defended one, purchased one, rescued one? This is God's rage against Israel's sin. They have taken the riches of God's grace given to them and hoarded it for themselves, making everyone pay for their lush life. They've become like the nations they hated. Verse 12 says worse. They don't want to hear about it. They're shutting up the Nazarites by forcing them to break their prayer vows. Drink some wine, come on. They're telling the prophets, like Amos, who's now their enemy. He's no longer a friend bringing a message they want to hear. They're saying, shut up. We can't hear you. We don't want to hear you. Don't you speak another word. Have you ever been used by someone for that person's gain? Have you ever been a prop to someone? I have. In ministry, I have. What does that do inside of you? It creates anger and rage. But have you ever been loved by someone who didn't care what was in it for them? Who gave you everything? What does that do inside of you? Gratitude. Thanksgiving. How can I serve you? Listen to the judgment upon Israel, church. We must repent of using the weak to prop ourselves into power. And we must become like the weak and serve them. The Lord is calling upon us through this weak prophet, preacher, To repent, to practice true religion, which is to care for weak ones. What does Scripture say that is? Who is that? Widows and orphans. To live unmeasured in our generosity. To live unafraid what other people might think. To call out injustice and injustice when it happens. To befriend the friendless. To be who God was and is to you, sinner. A friend of sinners. A helper to the helpless. A hope to the hopeless. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God by becoming a servant to the least and the lowly like you have been loved by Christ. What will happen if we don't? It's our final question. How does God respond to this offense? To using weak ones for your own power? He removes himself as a defender. He will no longer defend you. Look at verses thirteen to sixteen quickly. Israel, at Amos' time, they were a military powerhouse. They were confident they had the weaponry to protect themselves against any enemy. They had foot soldiers who were fast. They had sharpshooters who were stealth. They had pilots who were precise. They had Mel Gibson brave hearts who were beasts. What does God promise to do to this military in verse 13? He says, I'm going to press them down like a cart filled with a harvest. It's kind of a strange expression, but you got to understand that the people of Israel were given such blessing and bounty by God. So that's going to be ironic that the very blessing they received from God would be the very curse that would crush them underneath. Underneath that cart filled with all of their bounty, they would be crushed. The Lord, in His judgment, humiliates those who believe they are strong with defeat. Look what He does. What happens to your foot soldiers? They can't run anymore. What happens to your archers? They're shot in the heart. What happens to your horse riders or your pilots? They get shot down. What happens to your Mel Gibsons? They run away buck naked. The prophet Amos' words from the Lord would be fulfilled. Completely fulfilled. But not just yet. Because the Lord in his mercy is giving his people a warning of what's coming. Humble yourselves, Israel. Humble yourselves, church, or you will be humiliated. Church, we need humbling. We need to see ourselves as the weak ones. To see that the Lord shames the strong through the weak, through us. That our battle is not about filling the church with stronger charismatic leaders. It's about filling these chairs like an ICU for the weak. Our battle is less about securing our borders, church, to keep the needy out. No, it's more about opening our doors to allow the needy a bed and some bread. Our battle is less about assassinating the character of our brothers and sisters. And it's more about standing in awe of the character of Jesus as we see our own sin. Jesus, who made himself nothing, who became what happened to the seven army soldiers in the last few verses. Complete judgment was put upon him for us. His feet were kept from running because they were nailed to a cross. His strength was poured out from him as spears were thrust into him. He saved others, but he chose not to save himself. The arrows he held from heaven, he now let pierce his side. The rider of the white horse who's coming back in the apocalypse lay dead on the ground. Behold the naked man upon the cross who said, blessed are the poor For theirs is the kingdom of heaven who made himself nothing so we could have everything. Who took on our enemy, sin and death, and won victory for us. And who used his defeat, his humiliation, to protect us, the weak. Freedom, friends, Freedom Church, is what you do with what's been done for you. Choose now whom you will serve. Christ is, my only defender against a God who is offended or not Christ and be crushed under the rejection of his blessing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for being our protection and our defender. And we confess we have become the offender we have misused our position and our power to power over others. There are people in our lives right now who we, in our righteousness, want to crush. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for playing the powerful one and forgetting what you've done for us in becoming weak. Help us to serve instead like you served us. Help us to hide under our defender, Christ, in the shadow of the cross. And help us, Father, to take up a cross and follow you, dying daily to ourselves. No more using people as props for our power. Dying daily, Lord, so that you might live through us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.